It's like you have an inner navigation system surveying the landscape of your life and charting your best potential. And all you have to do is sleep. Ready to make the most of it? Let's get dreaming. One of the greatest blessings or the greatest gifts we get from dream work is a constant reminder that there is an intelligence, a great intelligence deep inside of us. That there's something inside of me that I can trust that's wiser than my waking self. Hi, Dreamweaver. I'm Sleep and Dream Specialist Leah Bolin, here to help you tune in to the power and meaning of your nighttime dreams. In this dreamy episode, we get to be illuminated and inspired by the messages of Dr. Ruben Nyman. Dr. Nyman has become a leader in the development of integrative approaches to sleep health by merging scientific with psychological and spiritual approaches. He is amazing to hear from about sleep and dreams and in how healthy sleep is deeply rooted in our willingness to attend to our dreams. I recently interviewed Dr. Nyman for the show, and you're in for a real treat. Let's tune in to that conversation now. It is such a great pleasure to welcome my guest on the show today. Dr. Ruben Nyman is a psychologist, a fellow in the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, sleep and dream specialist, and clinical assistant professor of medicine at the University of Arizona's Andrew Weil Center for Integrative Medicine. His work has been with diverse clientele ranging from Fortune 500 CEOs to world-class athletes, statesmen, and entertainers, including world-renowned rock musicians. He's also contributed to the development of sleep products, providing consultation to the bedding and health and beauty industries. Dr. Nyman's an author of groundbreaking works on sleep, including Healing Night, Healthy Sleep, The Yoga of Sleep, To Sleep Tonight, and Hush. His work's been featured in HuffPost, Psychology Today, Yoga Journal, Prevention, USA Today, WebMD, New York Times, Reader's Digest, and The New Scientist, among many others. Thank you, Ruben, for spending time with me today to have a discussion around my favorite topic, dreaming. Thanks. Thank you for inviting me. Happy to be here. Unlike so many others who have focused their work on sleep health, you have had an incredible focus and you're an advocate for honoring that part of sleep we call dreaming. Was there a defining moment in your own life that really brought your attention to your interest in the realm of dreams? It's an interesting question. You know, I think it, it might be more accurate to think about uh, moments that deter us from attending to our dreams. I, I think all of us as children uh, are, are so connected with our dream world. It is as real for us as waking life. But I think over time, given our culture, the way we're raised, uh, most of our parents, the education system, we're, we're drawn away from this very intimate, uh, very passionate relationship with dreams. So I, I think in one sense, I didn't have that luxury. Um, my life was such that um, for various reasons, I was not pulled far from the world of dreaming. 
I know you work with a lot of professionals, you're training and mentoring them. Obviously, dreaming is something you do so much in advocating. Do you get resistance about that? Or do you find that once you open up that topic, that there are so many who feel the same? I, I would say I get both. I, I think at a surface level, there's a lot of resistance uh, in, in my profession among psychologists. Uh, psychologists as a group, psychotherapists generally, have been less and less interested in dreaming and dream therapy over the past three, four, five decades. So there's resistance there. I think there's resistance culture-wide. In, in healthcare in general, uh, dreaming is considered this sort of accidental um, there's this sort of dust cloud that gets kicked up during nightly neurohousekeeping. Uh, at the same time, I think when when we speak from our hearts to people about dreams, we're speaking to something in their hearts. I think all of us recognize, you know, one ear goes up, right? It's like, oh yeah, I had that dream last night or that dream last week or the one from years ago, that big dream that I still remember. So I, I think there's something so natural about our interest in dreams that when we're reminded of the dream, uh, we we turn our attention toward it. I love that. Yeah, it's sort of like you're giving permission for someone who may on a, on a gut level feel like something felt important here to even open themselves up to the topic. Definitely, yeah. It's a reminder and it's permission. I think as professionals, uh, it's some of our duty to, to simply remind people and and as a part of that, to offer them permission, to use your term, to, to make it okay, not only to make it okay, to make it necessary to attend to our dreams. Is there a certain way you consider your own dreams on a regular basis? I do for myself, and I share a lot of techniques for exploring the dream, for insights and inspiration but I know through many conversations you and I have had that you are really amazing at bringing that bigger view of the dream into your life. And even in seeing how our dream eyes can be looking at our waking realm from a dreamlike perspective, you know, how do you kind of bring dream work into your own daily life? Hmm. Interesting. I, I I sometimes think that the dream brings me into its life. You know, I'll go back just a few minutes when when you were introducing me. And often when I'm introduced and I, I listen to the description of this person uh, in the waking world, you know, there's the Dr. Ruben Nyman who does this and did that and the other thing. And, and it's all very real. But a part of me is humbled um, because there there's so much more to who I really am, as there is for all of us, for you and all the rest of us. You know, the, the, those introductions uh, are about who we are in the waking world, but it'd be so much more interesting and challenging to also introduce who we are um, in, in, in the larger world, the, the world of dreams, the, the world of enhanced or expanded consciousness. So for me, um, I, I think, you know, I should mention when, when I was a child, um, I dreamt a lot and I had a lot of nightmares, uh, probably more than the average kid does. And, and it's pretty clear, it became clear to me over time, uh, they were associated with the fact that my both my parents were Nazi Holocaust survivors. Um, and, and there's no way that, that children cannot inherit some of that trauma. It gets passed on 
over time, over generations. So I had a lot of nightmares, some of them clearly related to the Holocaust, war imagery, being attacked, you know, uh, military stuff. And, and I, I could not turn away from that. Now, I should emphasize, too, there, there were also positive and beautiful dreams, but dreaming showed up in a very big way. You know, it was another world, as they say. It was the world behind the world. And I, I didn't have the luxury or the capacity to ignore it. I, I don't consider myself in any way really kind of a special dreamer. I've had a few precognitive dreams, as I think most people have. Uh, I've had some big dreams. But uh, I think I just given my family's history, I couldn't turn away. And probably related to that when... I became an adolescent, I was drawn into, and this was the 60s, of course, uh, I was drawn into experimenting with with substance and drug use. Um, and to make a very long story short, uh, I followed the advice of Timothy Leary and began experimenting with LSD when I was 16, 16 17, um, and quite a bit for the next, next few years. And, you know, my take on psychedelics, which is a a very relevant topic nowadays is they produce a kind of dream work. They're potent appetizers for dream experience. They they expand consciousness. So I I think I between those two parts of my growing up, I could not deny that there's another world there, and that world can often seem like it competes because it wants energy. It it colors. You know, we wake up in the morning, and and there's a certain quality that we awaken with and maybe a range of different qualities. And, and those are often established by the dreaming we did in the last third or so of the night. So um, many of us, as you know, many people just turn away from that. The alarm clock goes off and real life, as they say, begins. And, you know, we're, we begin in, in, in a rush hour. We have to hurry and get up and do this and do that and get ready. Uh, so we're drawn away from the dream. Eventually, I think depending on the the significance, the power of the dream, and depending on what's going on in waking life, eventually the dream does return, sometimes with force, sometimes it'll it'll gently seep back into life. I should clarify, I use the term dream maybe a little differently than, than some people think of it. It refers both to the, the typical notion of the dream that occurs at night, um, mostly during REM sleep, the dream when we sleep, but I think the dream in, in the Jungian sense is much larger. It's consciousness expanded beyond waking. So it includes what one of my teachers would call the imaginal realm. When we move into an imaginative process, maybe even a daydream, but more likely if we're doing something artistic, if we're if we're dancing, if we're doing music, if we're painting, if we're writing poetry, we instinctively venture out of the limits of ordinary waking consciousness into this larger world. Again, the world behind the world. And once we sense that and feel it, no matter how compelling waking life becomes, we can't forget it. Jung referred to this. He had an interesting metaphor. He said, um, we get bitten by the snake. Something gets in our blood. And it's like, you know, even if we turn away from it periodically, we can't. So I, I think that's true for everyone. I think the dream is, is such a critical and unfortunately nowadays forgotten part of consciousness. But sooner or later, I think we're all called back to it. Mm. You know, as you speak about the reality as a child and dealing with such scary, nightmarish dreams, for a lot 
of individuals I speak to who either have children that are dealing with some form of nightmare or they themselves had scary dreams as a child, the tendency is to want to dismiss and forget. In fact, some have even been through hypnosis to try to ensure they don't remember these dreams. Did you have someone to talk to about your dreams? Or how do you think as a child, you had the courage to even want to pursue understanding that more? Yeah, I, I appreciate your use of the word courage. I don't know if that that's what I felt. Um, it, you know, um, it, what brings to mind, what your comment brings to mind is is the, the common statement people will make to their children when they have a bad dream or a nightmare. They'll say, it's just a dream, right? It's just a dream. You know, in, in terms of talking about dreams, n- not much, with the possible exception of my mother, uh, from time to time, she had this old world, Eastern European inner sense about dreaming. And uh, typically, if it was she had a dream about one of her parents or something from the old country, she would share it with me. So without saying as much directly, she conveyed to me a sense that that dreaming was important. It was charged. It was powerful. It was spiritual. It was communication from another world, a larger world. Um, although... Uh, you know, I don't think I had the opportunity to actually talk about my dreams or listen to the dreams of others in an intelligent way until I got to graduate school, maybe undergraduate school a little bit. But when I, when I started studying psychology, it was an important part of my interest in that field. Oh, that's, you know, so good that it didn't scare you away because there's so much you've shared about dreaming. You and I first met about five years ago at the International Association for the Study of Dreams annual dream conference and have been so happy. We've had lots of opportunity to connect and collaborate about dreams. And in fact, coming up, we're going to be co-presenting a workshop at the upcoming dream conference taking place next month in Ashland, Oregon. Our workshop's called Dream Work at Work, and we are going to be sharing ideas around the ways dreaming supports our work. Uh, it, it certainly is supporting memory, learning, performance, productivity, collaboration, and empathy has even been shown to be developed amongst those who share dreams. You're going to be doing a featured talk at the conference called The Impact of Dream Loss on Collective Consciousness. People don't hear this term. What is it that you want to share with people about what is dream loss and why should we care? Well, I I, I spent a lot of um energy focusing on dreaming in the first 10 years of my career. And, and a lot of that um, involved work with, with hospice, with San Diego hospice. I'm very curious about the relationship of dreaming and death and dying of illness and, and grief and so on. And uh, I came to Tucson after that and took a position at Canyon Ranch where um, uh, I began doing dream work. But it, it, the obvious sort of hit me in the face that um so many people were showing up with the position that they never dreamt or they never remembered their dreams. And uh, these were people with um, clinical insomnia features. So I, I, uh, I became, I began a sleep program there and uh, began focusing intensely on sleep. Uh, and what I learned over the years is that 
I believe it's virtually impossible to heal sleeplessness without addressing dreams. Unfortunately, there's a divide between generally between people who do research and study and do clinical work around sleep versus those who do research studies and do clinical work around dreaming. And I found myself in that gap for, for quite a few years now, since the early 90s. In, in recent times, um, a few years ago, about five years ago, I did a paper for the Annals of the New York Academy of Sciences, and it was what we call review research. I just looked at existing data on information associated with poor dreaming. And it became very, very clear what I, I sensed or what I observed anecdotally. We, we, America, the United States, the Western world are in the midst of an epidemic of dream loss. In fact, much, possibly most of what we actually call sleep loss is dream loss. Um, the American Academy of Sleep Medicine in the field of sleep medicine tends to pay attention to dreaming only when there are dream disorders like REM sleep behavior disorder or severe nightmares. But otherwise, the posture tends to be to dismiss dreaming. It's not the American Academy of Sleep and Dreams. It's the American Academy of Sleep Disorders, mm. Sleep Medicine rather. And so um, when we look closely at it, it turns out that when people are having trouble falling asleep and trouble staying asleep, those reactions occur contingent upon dreaming, uh, either sleep onset dreams or what we call hypnagogic dreams, early dreams at night, or more commonly in the middle of the night, the most common form of insomnia is people waking up at 2, 3, 4 a.m. And what they are waking up from is dreaming. There's very strong data on this. So it turns out that the missing piece in treating insomnia is attending to dreams. And it's quite unfortunate that, that many, possibly most of the medications we use to treat sleep loss or to treat insomnia actually interfere with dreaming. And so consequently, when we, we discontinue those medicines, we typically get a severe insomnia rebound. We, we need to understand that the natural bridge between waking and sleeping is dreaming. We can't really in a healthy, natural way, get to sleep without having at least a brief, you know, minute or so of hypnagogic dreaming. And we can't come out of sleep naturally without going through a dream period. So learning to have a, a positive relationship, a comfortable relationship with dreams, with that part of us, which is a very different kind of consciousness than waking. It's much more of a feminine consciousness that comes to us rather than the waking consciousness, which we endeavor to control. Intentionally developing an open-hearted and open-minded posture toward our dreams is, I believe, the single most important thing we can do to improve our sleep. Wow. What do you think it will take for the clinical side to catch up? Or do you do you have faith it will? Mm, that's a good question, Leah. Um, I, I don't know. And we were talking earlier about when when we speak about dreaming, when in different settings, um, I'll speak to all physicians or psychologists or, or the public about dreaming. Even people who haven't dreamt in a long time, as I said, one ear goes up. You know, there, there's, hmm, boy, that sounds interesting. It's, it speaks to something inside of them that they knew and forgot about. So I think part of this is really recultivating 
an intuitive, um, an intrinsic sense of relating to the dream. I think we all have that inside. Culturally, it's another story. I mean, you know, putting it bluntly, we're nuts. We are. We're hyper aroused. You know, we we're going faster and faster and faster. We confuse velocity with with passion. You know, we we confuse anxiety with passion. We're, we're we're spending more and more time indoors, not relating to the vast expanse of of consciousness we experience when we're outside. People spend hours and hours a day looking at very small things. Even big screen computers are small compared to looking at the horizon. Television sets, um, iPhones or, or, or smartphones, these are all small things we stare at. And, and I think the metaphor is it actually shrinks the frame of our consciousness. We're living in smaller and smaller spaces. And, and I do think a lot of the unrest today is rooted in this. And consciousness doesn't get a chance to expand, you know? It, it's, you know, dreaming is like taking off a pair of tight shoes, you know, and your feet go, ah. Right. Consciousness does that. So I, I don't know how to do it. I, I'm writing more about this now. I'm speaking about it. I've written a couple of book chapters and medical textbooks about it. And I, I'm hoping that my profession, uh, sleep and dream professionals, psychologists, physicians, other other health professionals will really tune into this and recognize. I mean, we have we have really compelling data if we want to look at this just from a scientific, not just a subjective experiential standpoint. We have compelling data that shows that dreaming is really important for our health. I mean, clearly dream loss is associated with dementia associated with Alzheimer's disease. I'm not saying it's a cause, although it may be in some in, in some of these problems. And um, dream loss is also associated with, with increased inflammation. We see this in studies more of adolescents. Uh, a, a teenager who dreams less is much more likely to put on a lot of weight as one, one simple example. We've known for years, actually decades, I'd say 40 or 50 years, that there's a strong correlation between dream loss and clinical depression and mood disorders. In fact, the, the, the sleep and dream patterns we see in people who are depressed look much like the, the sleep and dream patterns we see in people who have intentionally been deprived of their dreaming. So there's lots and lots of good scientific above and beyond the psychological and, and I would say the spiritual reasons for dreaming well. If I have little memory of a dream, sh should I assume that equates to dream loss or is dream loss not necessarily equated to whether or not I'm recalling my dreams or is it a little both? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a complex issue. Uh, I'll give you one example. So uh, Americans drink far too much alcohol. Um, you know, there's mixed data on alcohol, some of it indicating that, you know, a glass of wine here and there can be helpful. There's some data showing that it actually is potentially harmful in any amounts. I'm not a teetotaler. I'm not opposed to that. But I think we need to keep in mind that um, millions, and in fact, over 25 million Americans consume unbelievable amounts of alcohol every day in excess of eight drinks a day. You know, just to put that in perspective, the standard for men is a maximum of two drinks per day. I think that's high. The standard for women who metabolize alcohol less efficiently is one drink per day. 
So if, if you're doing, um, as a man, if you're doing 14 drinks per week, there are many people who are doing more than that in two days. So uh, we're talking about millions and millions. And that's the tip of the iceberg. Mil- tens of millions of people drink far too much alcohol. Alcohol suppresses REM sleep. It interferes with dreaming. It doesn't mean we won't dream. It does mean that the dreaming will be suppressed. It will be compromised, poor quality. It'll be displaced and it will rebound. When people drink less, then they'll get more intense dreams. So it's not an un- it's not a healthy pattern of dreaming. So there are people who have, I've met a handful of people over the years who, who had said to me, they have never dreamt in their lives. It's hard for me to understand that, but there's, there's no reason reason for me to doubt it. Chances are they've never attended to their dreams. So th- there's the question of, of having a healthy sleep and dream patterns so that, that REM sleep and other forms of dreaming are happening. And then there's the, the associated question of, am I paying attention to it? So alcohol, antidepressants, anti-anxiety agents, many medications classified as anticholinergic drugs, all of these significantly interfere with dreaming. Sleep apnea, which compromises the quality of of deeper sleep and of REM sleep, interferes with dreaming. When people are having short sleep, the brain prioritizes sleep over dreams. That will interfere with dreaming. So there are lots and lots of factors that suppress REM sleep. And, And I think our willingness to consider that dreaming is as important as sleep, it's an important part of sleep, it's an important part of waking, is really a first step. It's not just about sleeping well, it's about dreaming well. Mm. I was having nightmares early in my corporate career. I was also having some really bad insomnia. And I found it was so the case that when I started to give attention to what was happening in these dreams, it became my beginning of getting through my sleep issues. I started to understand how this was a method for helping me in my life and that I was foregoing it when I would lie there unable to sleep, it felt like. And yes, I probably woke up because of a dream and then I would keep myself up in a sense. And I think even if the clinical side is still going to be a long way from truly embracing what dreaming is because it is very hard to measure consciousness and dreaming is a type of consciousness. But maybe if collectively we as people start to re-embrace what the dream time is doing for us, we can be a part of the process of moving there, hopefully. I, I think that's critical. And and that that can begin with sitting down and having lunch with a friend you haven't seen in a while. And typically we'll catch up on how life is going, you know, how are you doing, how the kids, as a family, blah, blah, blah. but you know, it's so interesting to, to ask, you know, if you've had any uh, compelling dreams lately uh, to, to tap into that part of the individual, to begin sharing that as a part of life. And, and it recognizes that the dream, the dreaming is important. And you're using the term consciousness, which I think, is really key to all of this. I, I think the struggle today is a consciousness issue. I think we have all been encouraged to be excessively extroverted, not that we shouldn't pay attention to the world and relationships and life and work and all that, but I think we pay too much attention to that and not enough attention to consciousness. And so dreaming is one kind of consciousness, as is waking and as is sleeping. And it's interesting in academic and psychological 
in spiritual traditions, there's agreement that there are these three kinds of consciousness. There's waking, sleeping, dreaming. And in fact, in, in yoga practices, the chant OM, which is usually written OM, but ought to be written A-U-M, because it represents three different sounds, the sound of ah, ooh, and mm. And those sounds are actually words in Sanskrit that literally, respectively, mean waking, dreaming, and sleeping. And wow. the idea here is that whole consciousness, really being fully oneself, means that all three of those ways of being are intertwined. And as strange as it might sound, whole consciousness, complete consciousness, means that in any given moment, I am awake and dreaming and asleep all at the same time, that those elements can coexist. I know that sounds strange to people, but it's a different way of being in the world. I think a way we need to practice. Wow. And I love the idea of asking a friend or a relative you're spending time with any interesting dreams lately. Some of us have maybe that one or two people in our lives that we're feeling comfortable sharing a dream with, maybe someone we live in the same home with. But to bring up dreams as a topic is such an interesting idea. And there are studies that show empathy is developed among those that share dreams. Yeah. And certainly I have seen in, you know, working with people on their dream work uh, that so quickly we can dive very deep into truly meaningful conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Dr dreams definitely break through our defenses. You know, um, when we sit at lunch or another time and, and share dreams with, with a friend, we're also um, breaking through what, what I call wake centrism. We, we live in a world where we think waking, you know, this consciousness we're in right now uh, is the premium. It's the gold standard for consciousness. Um, sleeping and dreaming are considered necessary, but they are secondary and, and often viewed as subservient states of consciousness, meaning the only reason I need to sleep, the only reason I need to dream is to make me a better waking person. So we've segregated waking uh, from sleeping and dreaming. We've made it dominant. We look at sleep and dreams as being subservient. When we talk about our dreams, when we begin to respect them, when we enter in conversation with our dreams, we are breaking the this the, the bounds of this limited waking consciousness. So waking consciousness um, is largely intentional. As, as you and I sit here and speak right now, we have different layers of intention. You know, most of them related to our conversation, maybe background thoughts about this or that. But intention drives our perception. Uh, intention determines perception. What I want will determine the frame through which I look at the world. It'll be consistent with what I want. And perception, of course, determines the world I live in. The big difference between waking and dreaming is that dreaming has a lot less intention. It's one of the reasons we're empathic in the dream. There's a lot more receptivity in the dream. We are curious in the dream. Even if we're having a nightmare and we're running from some big gobbledygook monster, um, there's more of a sense of being present in the dream than most of us are in, in, in waking life. So dreaming is receptive. It's less intentional. Our, our hearts, our minds are much more open in the dream than they are in waking. And if we could bring more of that into our waking world, we'd have a much 
kinder balance in our consciousness. There'd be, I think there'd be a lot more, as you say, empathy, receptivity. There'd be a lot more true communication, a lot less conflict. There'd be openness to a diversity of experiences. So mm. I, I, I do think we need to recognize that, that um, we do waking in a very limited form and we, we need to transit out of that by paying more attention to dreaming, not only dream at night, but you used the term dream eyes earlier, but to, to be able to practice looking at parts of wake, the waking world. I'm sitting at my desk. I have a, a, a beautiful little bouquet of, of tulips here from, from Trader Joe's and they're opening up. And, and there's just something so compelling about that. There's nothing pragmatic. I, I guess we could argue it improves mood, but there's something compelling about, about beauty when when we are tuned into that, that's an element of dream consciousness. It's receptivity. It's curiosity about the color and 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 the process of these incredible flowers, about what they're doing. So it's very, very compelling. Um, it's enlivening. It, it's heartening to bring more dreamy consciousness, more more looking at the world with dream eyes when we're awake. There's a lot that I've been sharing about bridging what's going on in our dreams to things that are happening in our waking life. This originally pulled me into my dream life, the practicality of being able to see self-help solutions and inspirations in my dreams has continued to spur me forward, always coming back to that dream well. Is there any tip or encouragement you would give to others who, yes, may want to explore their dreams for that ability to support their waking life, but to take it to that level of seeing it for that greater dream realm? Great question. So well, let me just first emphasize, I, I, I really agree. I, th- I think there are elements of dreams, many kinds of dreams that, that are mirrors they're, they're funhouse mirrors. They reflect back aspects of our waking life, aspects of who we are. They they might be bent and contorted, and we we can reinterpret them and understand. And yeah, there there are elements or messages from the unconscious that can be very helpful. You and I know, and we we've written about um, the creativity that comes out of dreaming. So so that mirroring that mirror can also be a looking glass that we go into, right? Um, and that takes us from the personal uh, sphere of the dream into the collective sphere. And, and we, we can begin to have dreams that are, 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 that, that are more inviting us to expand consciousness than, than reflecting us, ref, offering reflections about our current waking consciousness. Um, from that perspective, I think interpretation becomes a little different. It's less about bringing any understanding I have uh, about elements or images in the dream to the an- to the analysis. It's more much more about listening to the dream, just about listening, being open to, it, and letting the dream speak to us. And and really, and this is so critical, really being okay with the mystery. Mm. Um, just you know, a lot of times the dream will say something. It's it's like a good piece of music or a song or a, a poetry, and it touches our heart. And as soon as we try to interpret it, we can't. So it goes beyond waking world interpretation. It leaves us with a felt sense of something. And I think one of the greatest 
blessings or the greatest gifts we get from dream work is a constant reminder that there is an intelligence, a, a great intelligence deep inside of us, that there's something inside of me that I can trust that's wiser than my waking self. Mm, I love that. Yes. If there was just one message you wish most people would start to really hone in on about dreaming or dreams, what comes to mind for you? I, I think dreaming, dreaming, not any particular dream, but the process of dreaming is in the deepest sense of the term. Uh, it's an educational process. And I think if we open to dreaming, you know, the dream dreaming, uh, I, I think it will guide us personally into a deeper happiness. Greatly said. Thank you so much, Ruben. I so appreciate you Thank spending you. time with me today. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really looking forward to your talk at the Dream Conference. I'll be sure to put a link to the details about the Dream Conference as well in the show notes for anyone who may still want to check that out uh, or learn more about that setting as a whole. And I sure look forward to seeing you there, Ruben. Ditto, my friend. Thank you. There are so many great ideas and insights to take away from my conversation with Dr. Ruben Nyman. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about Dr. Nyman's work, his books, and upcoming events, be sure to click on the link to his official website, which I've included in the show notes for you. Let's plan to inquire more about the dream lives of those we're close to. What a wonderful way it'll be to engage in a whole new way that'll open up deep and meaningful dialogue. And let's be okay with the mystery that many of our dreams hold. It's a simple and heartfelt form of dream work to choose to listen to the dream like we would a piece of music or poetry, letting it linger with us, leaving us with a felt sense of something. In the words of Dr. Nyman, intentionally developing an open-hearted and open-minded posture toward our dreams is the single most important thing we can do to improve our sleep. And opening up to dreaming will guide us into a deeper happiness. Until the next time, I'm wishing you the sweetest of dreams. Sky in this life, maybe you'll soar as you dream.